Hi everyone, welcome to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had a really nice weekend and a week and uh, has a really nice blessed start to their new day and new evening and, and lunch, dinner, and wherever you're coming from uh, around the world. And if you're new to the cafe, this is the Quantum Heart Cafe where I talk about the books that I'm reading because I really love books and so I find that reading books and then kind of comparing what I'm learning in the books to real life is something that I really enjoy doing so that's kind of at the heart of this uh, podcast is where I talk about current events that aren't really being talked about in the mainstream media or even the alternate media. There's some people that are amazing researchers and people who are talking about this uh, or these current events, but for the most part, they're not really being given the attention that they need. And I'm talking about the rollout of Web3 technologies and this change, how society is being altered and changed to fit some sort of like a a synthetic in existence, like the emergence of synthetic life with natural biological life, and um, and then relating that those current events to what I'm reading in my books, and uh, I started doing that last series I did was on a book called Emergence, and if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. It's a really good book. It's by Stephen Johnson. And he just talks about like you know, how uh, thousands of interactions among individuals creates higher level learning, which or higher level behaviors, which is at the heart of emergence and complex adaptive adaptive systems. And I wish this was science. This was science fiction, but it's not. There are a group of people that are interested in kind of creating this global hive mind or this global super organism that uh, will kind of mimic ant colonies or ant or slime mold cells. Um, and so that's where that was kind of part of that book series. It was me talking about that. And now I'm starting a new book series on uh, Beyond the... It's called... The book I'm reading is Beyond the Box. Uh, B.F. Skinner's Technology of Behavior uh, from Laboratory to Life. So it's the 1950s throughout the 1970s. And the book is by Alexandra uh, Rutherford. Or Rutherford. I hope I got that right. And so the reason why I'm looking at this book is because... I think behavior technology, the more I understand token economics and the more I understand Web3 uh, technologies, the more I kind of start to think that it's more so about behavior management and behavior engineering than it is just about, you know, having the newest gadget. Uh, and before I get in, so before I go uh, a little deeper into the book and kind of get started on this news book series, during my uh, podcast, I do like to give a moment of gratitude because uh, I think it's so good like, to be grateful and to give gratitude uh, and then receive gratitude. And 
today I'm grateful I um I started a new job which another reason why because I try and um give or I try to record a podcast once a week doesn't always work out uh, last week I was just super busy because I started a new job uh and you know it, it looked good on paper but it's a job that I don't know I'm just grateful that the job is kind of showing me what I don't want to do and now I'm thinking about what I do want to do and the and the the area that I want to go into um so I, I think that was that's kind of a blessing in disguise because the job does take up a lot of time uh and I it's time that I usually like to devote to podcasts or uh stuff outside of work so um I'll just make sure to try and devote as much time as I can um, to my podcast and stuff, and then eventually I'll be able to move on to something else. Uh, but this sometimes, you know, we we think something's going to be great. Like, I've had this before where I think an experience is going to be good, and it's going to be great, but then maybe the experience was just to show me that it's something that I don't want, and that's sort of a lesson. Like, the universe always gives us lessons. Uh, sometimes the lessons are, are awesome and wonderful, and sometimes uh, they're challenging and they can be hard. And I think that this one was has been hard, but again, it just kind of shows me what I don't want to do. So I'm pretty grateful for that, because then, kind of, then I can focus on what I do want from life. Uh, so... That was my moment of gratitude today, and uh, for coffee, I'm still drinking the store-bought coffee, because, you know, this is a cafe, it's the heart of a cafe, because what I really love about cafes is that, you know, you could go read, uh, have conversations with friends, play games, I know, you know, a lot of cafes are also used as, like, a uh, office space for people, and, and you know, for working on projects and as like kind of like a library and stuff like that. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. And, but there's also the other side of the cafe. There's the social side. There's enjoying a really nice cup of coffee or, or a nice cup of tea or whatever it is that you're into. And I just really enjoy that kind of feeling of a cafe where it's really relaxed, but then, you know, you meet up with a good friend or family members or something and you can have like really good philosophical conversations at a coffee shop or you can just journal or read or you know maybe draw do some art um so yeah i just really enjoy coffee shops and so for today i'm just drinking the store-bought coffee because i haven't had a chance i'm hoping to get out to an independent coffee shop this weekend and i'll try um one of their blends and see how how that is and share that with you all so that's what I usually like to do I kind of give a an introduction to my show a little bit of a um, moment of gratitude and kind of just talk about the beverages I'm, I'm drinking uh, and then I just get get back into or get on with the the focus of the show and as I said today I'm starting a news book series on uh, about B.F. Skinner. Uh, the book is Beyond the Box and B.F. Skinner's Technology of Behavior from Laboratory to Life, so the 1950s to the 1970s. 
by Alexandra uh, Rutherford. Again, I hope I said that right. And uh, for today, I'm just going to be talking about the introductory, uh, the introduction or introductory chapter, and a little bit of uh, giving a little bit of background about both the author and B.F. Skinner. And the reason why I, I chose to read this book is because uh, there's a really amazing researcher out there. Uh, her name is Allison McDowell, and she's done um, so much work and so much research into um, talking about token economics, uh, social impact finance, emergence, complex, and uh, complex adaptive systems, and one of the books that she's often recommends people read or she often talks about on her uh, presentations is this book by Alexandra Rutherford. Um, because I think, like I said earlier, behavior technology is really at the heart of social engineering and at the heart of this push towards synthetic life. It's like they need to socially engineer life on Earth in order to uh, assimilate into this weird hive mind, like this emergence of synthetic life with biological life, but the, there's a behavior component to that. And so that's why I want to talk about his book. And for me, it's a learning experience because I haven't been too familiar with behavior science. I did take a psychology class a long time ago and, you know, in the class, they do talk a little bit about um, sort of like the operant conditioning. Um, the one that I remember the most is Pavlov's dogs, I think, or um, where, you know, you train. It's like a reward and reinforcement and punishment. So you like re reinforce the good behavior with some sort of a coin or a token. Uh, and then you punish the bad behavior by, you know, I think back in the day they used electric shocks and stuff. And so that's the type of research or the area of research I'm going to be focusing on for this show and for the next little while because this kind of segues into token economics and the history of token economics, which I'm going to be focusing on after I read this book. Um, so if that's, those are subjects that interest you, please feel free to um, like and subscribe uh, to my podcast. And of course I do like to talk about, um, spirituality and because what's going on is a spiritual, uh, struggle, you know, because it's what we're going to be facing is questions about what it means to be a human being and what it means to value, um, and respect and cherish life on earth. Uh, cause I just don't know if, I don't think it's such a good idea to be merging living or living beings with synthetic life. I, I don't know what that's going to look like or what that's going to do to people. And I'm not sure if there's a way. I mean, I think we'll get through it for sure. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, love is going to win. Um, it's just kind of talking about what's going on. And that's the first really important step to kind of figuring out where to go from here and that's kind of what this podcast is also is at the heart of this podcast so it's not like a hundred percent just focused on spirituality I think I'd rather include spiritual concepts and spiritual teachings into the overall um I guess overall 
program of the show, if that makes sense. All right. So with that being said, I'm going to get now I'm going to start getting uh, or focusing on uh, the book and the introductory chapter. Um, So just I did look up a little bit of Alexandra uh, Rutherford's bio um, and she's a professor or professor of psychology at York University. And she she authored this book. I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe she's just a, a fan of B.F. Skinner and behaviorism. Because I think behavior science is a part of psychology now. I don't know how much uh, like Freud and Carl Jung's work is talked about in mainstream psychology. I mean, they're still there. And they are important. And I am going to be talking about Carl, Carl Jung's work um later on and also too i want to just say that i'm not this is not an attempt to like uh attack or hurt or belittle the author or anyone who does study behavior science i'm not really someone that's i have to learn i'm learning more about behavior science and i find that um maybe it has its place but there's also a really dark side to behavior science and a and a dark history, not just of behavior science, but psychology as well, especially with what's happened in mental hospitals and prisons and sanatoriums and so on. And I think I think there was a lot of well and there still is a lot of well meaning people that are working in these fields. And of course there's a lot of people that would never hurt kids or animals or anything like that. Um, and then there's people that would, and so I don't want, I'm trying not to come at this from like an attacking point of view. I'm trying to come at this from, you know, let's think about this, you know, let's take a few steps back and have these important conversations about the history of psychology, the history of behaviorism as in a way where we don't continue to repeat the mistakes of the past and where innocent people aren't continually subjected to really cruel ways of trying to air quote heal them uh, and I'm going to continue talking about that part of the history of psychology and again there's been a lot of amazing wonderful people in psychology that have never done anything like this that go into psychology and, and go into the healing we're helping fields to actually help people. Um, so this isn't an attack on this. It's not an attack on Alexandra Rutherford or even B.F. Skinner. It's just to point out or have discussions about the content of what they're saying and you know, encouraging us to maybe take a step back and think about things and think about the ethical implications of a token economic society of socially engineering people because I just I think that's a really bad idea utopians I question utopianism and even P.F. Skinner wrote a book called I think it's like Walden or something I have to get the proper name for it but he wrote a fictional book about um this utopia that he had in his mind and like this planned socially engineered community I haven't read the book and maybe I will read the book just for the sake of the show because it does sound interesting. Um, 
I'm always a little weary about utopias because that usually means forcing people to do things against their will and it doesn't really turn out well. <laughs> so, um, but there's people that believe in that stuff and they think that they can have build intentional communities and build like um, socially engineered people. And I think that there's a really, I think taking a step back and really thinking about that for a minute and maybe, you know, it's, I feel like it can be well-intentioned to start with, but then you can go down a really dark road where people get hurt. And I'm just, that's what I'm kind of worried about <laughs> with this. And it also goes, you know, I'm also worried about this push towards merging synthetic life with human life. And that may already be happening on some level. Um, just because, I, again, innocent people could get hurt. And is, do we really need to go down this pathway? I don't know. Or this, do we really need to do this? So that's where I want to have these kind of conversations. Um, and then, okay. And so Alexandra uh, Rutherford, um, she, a lot of her research or her current research um, is focused on looking at the relationships among fem feminism, gender, psychology, and policy in the United States since World War II. Um, she has examined how feminist social scientists developed and communicated a science of gender that informed policy from the uh, institution to the national level. So I know that's not really related to the book too much, but uh, that's the only, that's kind of like the important parts of her bio that I could find. Uh, and and then for B.F. Skinner, so I have a little bit for his biography. Um, so B.F. Skinner uh, was an American psychologist, behaviorist, author, inventor, and social philosopher, uh, considered the father of behaviorism. He was the Edgar Pierce Professor of Psychology at Harvard University from 1958 until his retirement in 1974. So he's very heavily involved with uh, Harvard University. And uh, throughout the book, I will... Alexandra has already spoken about some of his colleagues, um, like Burster and Ogden Lindsay, um, because it wasn't just... It's not just B.F. Skinner who is involved with behavior science. There's a, a few other notable people that were kind of in that same field at the time, and they helped to build... Uh, behavior science into what it is now so I will be also so I'm not going to just talk about behavior Skinner from or sorry BF Skinner I'm also going to talk about uh, some of the other people that were involved in um, establishing it as a field uh, <clears throat> and then just to continue a bit more with his bio um, BF Skinner considered free will to be an illusion Skinner saw human action as dependent on consequences of previous actions, uh, a theory that he would articulate as the principle of reinforcement. If the consequences to an action are bad, there is a high chance the action will not be repeated. If the consequences are good, the probability of action being repeated becomes stronger. Um, and then in 1936, um, oh, he, he married uh, Yvonne Eve Blue, and the couple had two daughters, Julie... Uh, Vargas and Deborah uh, 
Boozin. I think she married Barry Boozin. Um, his daughter, Julie Vargas, carried on B.F. Skinner's work in behaviorism and has stated that behaviorism is different from psychology in its dependent variables, its measurement system, its procedures, and its analytic framework. Uh, Deborah is B.F. Skinner's second daughter, and she married Barry uh, Boozin who co-wrote the book, The Mind Map, with his brother. And it's kind of, I think it, I looked at The Mind Map, and it sounds like a little bit of a brainstorming uh, book on, like, brainstorming and, and goal setting and stuff. And so there are parallels with uh, B.F. Skinner's work and the self-help movement. And uh, I think the author kind of goes into that. I haven't read about it just yet in the book, but she has hinted that she's going to be talking about that later throughout the book. So I'll, I'll include more about the self-help and the link with be behavior science uh, as I, I continue reading this book. Um, okay, so in the 20th century, it was easy to acknowledge the emergence of, of a psychological society. So that's where people were willing and able to describe life in psychological terms. And it sounds like that kind of comes out of like the psychoanalysts, like the Freud and Jungian um, work that was happening at that time. Um, and then at the time, psychology became recognized as a discipline that was an expert on human nature and specialized in ways to measure and modify it. Uh, in the 1800s, scientific experiments began to be used to investigate and better understand human psychological processes. The uh, new psychology brought in materialism and naturalism alongside the attempts being made to understand human beings. Uh, critics thought the new psychology was a psychology without a soul. Um, and I think when they're talking about the new psychology, it's more so like the behavior science that they're talking about, which really is kind of linked with materialism. Like behavior science doesn't really talk about the soul. It doesn't talk about human spirits or anything like that. Um, and that's probably why for me, I gravitate more so to Carl Jung's work because I think that there is the, the psyche and everything. I mean, he talks about the psyche, but there is a soul, a spirit, and everything like my ancestry is Irish and we used to have I mean it's kind of being uh, revitalized the Celtic spirituality and I think and also too I want to say that that like you know Ireland like there were people there before the Celts arrived as well so there's other ancient uh, spiritual ways of being on Ireland I'm not sure what they are but I know for the Celts um, they had uh, a reverence for nature and saw nature and everything. I think Carl Jung kind of had, it's more of like an animism, like just kind of seeing how their soul and everything, uh, trees, rocks, people, animals, bugs, like they all have their own individual souls and they're connected to this greater whole. Um, I think that's where Carl Jung was talking about like the world consciousness and there is an attempt by certain people in society and certain groups to try and wedge um, this system in between the world consciousness and people and 
for me, the world consciousness is kind of similar to like the universal consciousness or cosmic consciousness. Some people like to call it God or goddess or whatever you like to call it, the creator. Um, so there's an attempt for certain groups and individuals to want to kind of take over the creator role and think that they can steer and direct human life and life in general on earth through cybernetics and through uh, synthetic biology. I don't think that's going to work, <laughs> but my concern is that innocent people get hurt and get hurt, get hurt through all that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I have my, that's kind of where I'm coming from is more of like that creative, um, animus point of view and that's not in behaviorism behaviorism is very much material materialism maybe taking into the into consideration the mind the mind of a person and maybe to an extent the emotions but definitely not the soul or the spirit of a person uh or or another uh, living creature because it when behaviorism was first starting uh a lot of the experiments were conducted on animals like pigeons and rats and then monkeys, uh, orangutans, chimpanzees, and then and dogs and so on. So human beings aren't the only ones that have been uh, experimented on. It started with animals first and then just progressed that way. And it's interesting, I was reading, it's not in this uh, chapter, it's in the second chapter, I've been reading it so far. And it's on... Um, there's a word or an acronym called NIMF. Uh, I think it's like the National Institute of Mental Health or something like that. I have to double check. Um, but they, I remember when I was a kid, I watched a movie called The Secret of NIMF. And then later on, I recently, a couple of years ago, I read the book Secret of NIMF. And it's a kid's book, but it's about, um, rats being experimented on by scientists and then they 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 with the help along with uh, the help from a few of the mice were able to escape the lab and they set up their own society outside of human society because they became quite intelligent and so they're able to like build a society with electricity and so on and then you know throughout the book they help um this family, this this family of mice, uh, move out of the way because their home is going to be destroyed by the farmers, um, and so the rats help out because they owe, they owe the mice family a favor, and then after that the rats leave and they, they go off into the forest somewhere to go establish their own society. But all throughout that book, the scientists are looking for those rats. And so it just kind of remind makes me think, you know, are we are we the rats of nymph? Are we being? I mean, this I mean, has been argued that we're in this simulation already, and to some extent, I think that's true. Um, so I wonder if we really are the rats of nymph. Some, you know, like that the acronym nymph, and then the book nymph. I'll have to look into it. It was really it, kind of made me think about that a little bit. Uh, so Okay, so I'll continue on. Uh, so Skinner attempted to supplant, supplant the psychology of everyday experience with a scientifically derived system of behavior principles. Uh, the author describes Skinner's behavior 
analysis as a technology that's supposed to solve individual and even societal problems. I'm not sure if it does. Like, again, I'm gonna. This is just an introduction today. I want to go a bit more deeper into this. Like, maybe there are some merits to behaviorism, and in certain circumstances, it can help someone. I also wonder if there's also been uh, colossal failures with it. Like, there, like both sides of it. Like how it has been helpful, and if it has been helpful. And then how it has failed people um, and animals and so on. So because it's still, you know, behaviorism is still alive and well today. And like I said, it's a major, it has its like footing in the self-help industry and stuff like that too. So um, that's something that I'm going to be going over this next little while as I talk about this in token economics. Um, okay, so to continue on. So in the 1950s, people began to try and use Skinner's principles of operant conditioning psychology to change the environment and human behavior. And that is a key component um, of smart cities and so on is to try and control the environment to enable emergence. Like they have uh, this network of sensors they're putting up all over the place. And it's to collect data and to gather information about people. Uh, it's also to analyze and study higher level behavior because when you get a, a cluster of people together and they're all interacting with each other and then you have sensors that collect that data then you can find patterns and find like the higher level behavior that comes out of that because uh, again they're also interested in this super this hive mind super organism um, where we're all kind of part of that and so gathering that data and analyzing those patterns is really important. But then they also have to like control and manage the environment. Like it might not be, um, and I agree with this, Allison thinks that it might not be um, like harsh overt control right away. Like it might be more like subtle, like soft control, like nudges and so on. Like there might be some degree of free will in this environment just so that people don't like start getting start questioning things um so it'll be like a soft form of control but it'll be there um like through nudges and through like um even electricity i know this sounds crazy but they can through frequencies and through electromagnetic radiation control um, the minds of people, but, you know, if people know this, then they can kind of at least talk about it, but if they don't know this, then they don't know that they're being nudged and so on with these frequencies, because eventually the screens are going to go away. Like, the idea of computing that we know of right now, where we have computer screens and uh, smartphones and smart watches, that, that's being set to be replaced by an integration of technology with biology. So there might not be necessarily uh, screen devices that we have. It might be more embedded sensors in the environment and eventually us as well. There's the Internet of there's the Internet of Things, which is like the sensors in the environment, like our smart um, stoves and smart fridges and stuff. 
Uh, but then there's also the Internet of Body Bodies, where you put sensors, like these tiny little things, into people's bodies, and and then so you have, I guess, the idea is to control or to influence the micro and the macro environment. Because even in in occult science, when you we're a part of the macro or the big world, and the big world is a part of us, and size is kind of relative too, because we are, like if you think about it as human beings, we're galaxies and a whole universe um, from the perception of our mitochondria and the other cells in our bodies. Like we're walking, literally walking universes. But then if you think about just us as the whole, as our whole being, you know, we don't feel that big. We kind of feel a little smaller and we look to the stars and to the universe to see the macro, uh, the macro world, but the, but we're all, but the micro world or the small world is within us. So as well, so with our mind, like with our thoughts and feelings and so on, uh, you know, it is known in occult science and stuff that our thoughts can create our rea reality. Like there is something called a thought form and uh, so through our, our thoughts, we can create the reality around us and then the reality influences us, influences us back. So the macro world so is influenced by our micro world and vice versa. So it's not really a one-way street, it's a two-way street. And if you ever find yourself like having a positive mindset or having a healthy conscious mindset like your world starts to change and reflect that back to you and then if you have one that is not healthy and I will say that society this predatory system works really hard to put us in an unhealthy mindset the mindset of scarcity the mindset of fear and anger and anxiety and so on like there's a there is an effort to keep us there um because then that's what that's all we see and feel and so it's like we you know it's then it kind of becomes a, a mental and spiritual prison but then when we think about like our thought forms and how we start to change them to be more aware like kind kind gentle compassionate uh abundant uh connected to our higher selves connected to nature realizing that we're part of uh we're part of this universe and we have an important role to play in our lives like we reincarnated on earth for a reason and when you start to think about those things then uh it's like the world sort of starts to change and it, it reflects that back and i think there's an attempt to try and control that to control the environment so that like through these sensors through behavior technology uh so that they can condition us and condition um or socially engineer us to move in a certain direction to move in like that hive mind utopian direction that they're talking about um so i hope that makes sense i know that's kind of like sci-fi spiritual stuff but it is happening 
Uh, I wish it wasn't, but it is, and that's why I'm talking about it. And that's why it sounds so, like, fantastic, but it's it's real. I wish it wasn't, but it is happening. And if you're interested in learning a bit more, I highly recommend reading Oliver L. Reiser's book, The World Sensorium. And then uh, there's a few others that have also talked about, like, a global brain and universal organism and so on. I'll have some links in the description if you guys want to check out uh, some of these books and that I have been reading because um, it's really important stuff. Okay, so to continue on, um, the, the author con uh, continues to talk about how uh, she thinks that brain imaging and designer drugs offer the promise of controlling human behavior by reducing it to its smallest uh, molecular components. And that is something that I want to kind of explore a bit more and talk about on the show. Like, I don't want to take away... I know psychedelics can help people uh, heal and get through psychological trauma. Like, there's a, a place for it. I think, though, that... There's also a caveat and a cautionary warning about it, too, because I think that it feels like there's a relationship between the use and promotion of psychedelic drugs and this social social engineering and hive mind uh, control. I, I do think there is a relationship there. I think under certain circumstances... And under the guidance of a spiritual teacher, like a, an experienced shaman, that psychedelics can help people uh, heal and understand their trauma. But that's under the guidance of a experienced shaman. It's not something that is just taken whenever. Because when we open ourselves up to the other planes, like the astral plane, like, we have to remember that on the lower astral plane, there are entities that live there, and they're not always friendly. And this isn't to scare anyone. It's just to tell people that this is what it is. This is the reality. So when you take and ingest something, it doesn't even, and it doesn't have to be psychedelics only. It can be other drugs. It can be alcohol. Pretty much anything that alters our consciousness leaves us open to being influenced by darker entities right like you can have like if your consciousness is out there in the astral somewhere and you have then then you have created a void within yourself and something else can jump in and then take over for a while you know it's like I remember listening to the story of a lady who was um it wasn't even psychedelics or street drugs I think she was taking some painkillers because she just had like a, a surgery or something but there it was pretty powerful stuff and so she got knocked out for and she did this for a, a little while um but she found that when she when her consciousness was gone something else was in there and it would go to use her body to go to 7-eleven and buy cherry cokes and drink cherry cokes i guess the entity just really liked cherry cokes i mean I don't think anything else besides that, beside that happened. And eventually she got off them, so it didn't happen anymore. Um, but, you know, there's other things like, you know, if you ever have any alcoholics in your family, I mean, this is something that I've experienced where 
someone starts drinking and then they become a totally different person and not always angry or violent but they're just different you know like maybe they get they become super sad and depressed or maybe they are just laughing and having a good time and they're not bothering anyone but but then you do get people who then it's like a, a switch flips and they become violent and they become something else um so again it's just be there's there should be a lot of caution around taking this stuff and if you have to take a psychedelic i just recommend that you take it under the guidance of an experienced shaman or a spiritual guide or someone who can help you navigate those lower realms and then maybe they maybe looking into other ways to heal to spiritually spiritually heal yourself that maybe doesn't involve involve these drugs um so yeah i just want to say that again i'm not 100 percent against um anyone taking these things i think that there should be a warning and a caveat and i am deeply concerned about how it's being pushed by mainstream like it's becoming mainstream like it's the cool thing now to go to these dispensaries and these places to and, and buy these these things these drugs and we don't really know what that's doing to us too too much um so yeah this it's just a cautionary i don't want to scare anyone or anything like that but just encourage people to think about things a bit and uh to use caution when you're whenever you're altering your consciousness or whenever you're attempting to go into the astral realm if you don't know what you're doing and i wouldn't i wouldn't go in there because i'm not you know familiar with it myself um if you don't know what you're doing you can end up landing yourself into a lot of trouble because like i said there are entities on the astral realm and if they see you they'll latch on and then you have another problem and you have to definitely have to go see a shaman or experience a spiritual teacher or medicine person to help you uh, get rid of these entities. So just, this is something that behaviorism doesn't talk about. <laughs> it's not something at all. Um, but there has been a lot of experiments into psychedelics like LSD. And again, psychology has been heavily involved with it. Um, there's a guy named Humphrey Humphrey Osmond, who I'll be looking into later in other shows, and he was a psychologist, and he coined the term psychedelic, and he did a lot of research with LSD and uh, psychedelic experiences, and it, it this research did happen in mental hospitals throughout North America, and maybe even Europe, but I'm just focused on North America, and I think a lot of innocent people got really messed up and hurt and and that's kind of part of what I want to talk about um, okay so I'm just going to continue on there's only a few more slides I won't be able to cover the whole book just because I've already covered uh, a bit of it I highly recommend reading B.F. Skinner's book um, but I think I just want to talk a little bit more about um, just kind of give a bit more of an introduction um, about what he was working on uh, and then in the next show I'll go more in depth with like the the other people involved with behaviorism okay
so the author continues to argue that universality and finding ways to reproduce the lab across different settings is why behavior technology went beyond the box. So that is kind of unique about Skinner's work is that he was able to take his findings from the lab and translate it into wider society. And there is an example I'll give of, of that in, uh, in just a moment. And then he also, and she also talks about that Skinner used uh, a specific language to talk about his work, which changed and challenged people's thoughts of themselves and others, such as reinforcement and reward. And again, he, he thought that um, free will was an illusion. I don't think it's that cut and dry. I mean, we may not have as much free will as we think we do in term in like a spiritual sense. Like we, we don't have any control over the families that we're born into, uh, where we're born on the earth. That's not up to us. We, some things in life are just faded. And again, that nothing that's beyond our control. There's nothing we could do about that. Um, where we have free will is in the decisions that we make and what we decide to do with that. You know, it's like, um, uh, there's, uh, there's a really good quote in the book, um, that I just finished reading a while back. It's Madeline Ingalls, um, Oh man, a book escapes me right now. Ah, uh, you know when you have like the title and it's just on the tip of your tongue and then you just can't think of it right now, but it's like, it's right there. Um, ah, uh, Wrinkle in Time. There we go. I just needed a few minutes to think about it, but, um, the Wrinkle in Time and there's a really cool qu quote by one of the, I think she was like an angel or something. Um, you know, she, and she was saying that life you know, you, you kind of get the structure. I'm paraphrasing here. It's not the exact quote. Um, but you kind of, you get the structure for your life, but then it's up to you to write the sonnet. Something like that. I think she said it better than I, I do. But like, you know, and, and I think we have a structure and we have um, a spiritual purpose, if you will. And I think that that's one of the things that's is really important about something like astrology. I know people are just going to be like, what astrology? I'm talking about the real stuff, not the, the coffee horoscopes. I'm talking about real astrology, like getting your birth chart done. Um, because that gives you the structure of kind of your being and like what your purpose is. And it can help you find that. But it, even with all that, it's still up to you to figure out how you're going to express those energies. How are you going to create the life you want, given the whatever conditions or whatever things that you are born with? And there is some, I mean, I do think that there is reincarnation. And sometimes we come into this life with lessons that we have to learn from a previous life, right? I guess they, they call it karma. And so... You know, the, the universe gives us the the structure and then but it's up to us to fill in the blanks. It's up to us to create the sonnet. And that's where our free will comes in. So it's like it's a bit of both. It's not, I don't 100% agree that free will is an illusion. Uh, the degree to how much we have is, um, that's hard to say. 
but we still have to make choices at the end of the day. Um, and that is our free will. And it's also, um, you violate universal law when you violate the free will of another person. So just putting that out there. Okay, and then, okay, so just to continue on, I'm only going to talk about a few more slides, I think. Uh, so the, um, Alexandra Rutherford uh, continues by writing about how the cornerstone of operant conditioning is the demonstration that behavior can be controlled via consequences and the manipulation of these consequences can produce effects. Uh, so Skinner's early experiments were conducted on rats, rats and pigeons, uh, which would eventually become his operant chamber and later called the Skinner box. The author states that her main audience is those who extend their focus to include measurement and manipulation of human behavior, and there is a lot of manipulation of human behavior going on. I won't... I'll talk about that throughout the show, but I don't want to... I'm already getting close to an hour for today's show, so I don't want to um, get too off track a bit. Uh, okay, and then the Skinner box consists of several... Uh, components, there's the operand, operandum, so the, the lever or the button uh, which the person or the animal pushes to get the reward, like food. And then there's reinforcement schedules, so after a certain interval, the food would be delivered. Uh, and then there's a device that records the subject's response rate automatically. <clears throat> Later on, as the as people or as scientists continued using the Skinner box, they would also include uh, lights and sounds um, within the the Skinner box, and then there is a cumulative recorder, uh, which was important for the operant experiments to find patterns and lawfulness in behavior. And I feel like <clears throat> the data that is collecting collected on us now through these sensors is sort of like a cumulative record, but on a bigger scale, like on a community scale, not just individual, but community as well. And I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that throughout the show too. Um, and then what is interesting is that Skinner wrote a book called, um, I think it's called Walden. I have to get the proper name. Um, and I did talk about that kind of a little earlier about how the book is a focuses on the topics of social engineering and utopia. And I don't think, personally, I don't think there's any such thing as utopia. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what he has to say. Maybe I will read that book for the show. Uh, okay. And then just to... So Skinner's work became the foundation for behavior analysis. Uh, Skinner is notable because he extended his work beyond the lab and, and spoke to the general public. Um, he was more data-driven than theory-driven, and Skinner was committed to the application of his ideas by creating behavior technology. Uh, he believed technology could should be a major focus of all scientific activity, and if, if we kind of think about it, it really is a big focus of scientific activity right now, um, and he wanted to use his operant conditioning to change the world through widespread social and behavior engineering. And I'm just going to give one example of that. There's two examples in the book, but I'm going to talk about uh, the baby ten tender. Um, 
so uh and the baby baby tender is an example of how skinner tried to use technology to socially engineer uh a, a, a crib for the baby like to make rearing to make raising babies more efficient um so he wanted to use gadgets to try and solve raising his uh, second baby so he invented a crib that was enclosed with humidity and temperature controlled or sorry it was a humidity and temperature controlled environment with a, a plexiglass front and a canvas bed and that was called the baby tender uh, he wanted to make raising babies more efficient, modern, and comfortable for the baby, and did that through providing a more controlled environment for the crib. Um, so, and supposedly, the baby tender was an improved technology over the traditional way of raising a baby. Um, and some saw how the baby ten tender promised to create healthier and smarter babies. <clears throat> but then there are also critics uh, that saw, thought that the baby tender was an example of the mechanization of hum of motherhood and saw it as an example of technological uh, progress. So I guess there is, and then there's also some critics that felt the box weakened the baby's bond with his or her uh, parents. So there was people that had concerns about using technology to replace motherhood. And in a way, like, there is an attempt to do that now. Like, these artificial wombs and and so on. Like, there is sort of an attack on the sacred feminine. Just like there's an attack on the sacred masculine. Uh, but there is an attempt to control motherhood. Because, you know, the sacred feminine is how... You know, we all come from the womb, or we're all going to go back to the tomb, which is kind of like a womb, and that's part of motherhood, the sacred motherhood, and so he saw, or there were critics that kind of saw this technology as a way to mechanize that, um, and then there are some people that thought it was an example of technological progress. Just like they see gadgets now as an example of technological progress. I think it's wise to be careful with the technological progress because I feel like it could be a deal, kind of like a Faustian deal with um, the devil, whether it's met metaphorically or literally or something. Like, I, I just don't, I don't know, I get really uncomfortable seeing how, like, Especially with the idea of um, organic like life and synthetic life merging together, I just have a really bad feeling about that. It's hard to pin down, but maybe yeah, we'll be talking about that throughout the show, and it is a focus of the show. Uh, <clears throat> there is something about having a natural bond with nature, a natural bond with ourselves, and. Yeah, I'm just concerned about technology continuing to wedge itself between us and and nature and, and the cosmos. But I think I'm going to leave it there. Um, again, it wasn't a very long presentation because the chapter, the introduction isn't very long. Uh, the next show I'm going to go into, uh, the second chapter was kind of talks a bit more about, uh, so far is talking a bit more about uh, Skinner's background. But some of the, the colleagues he's worked with, 
and uh, some of the other research research that he's done. So without that being, um, without further ado, I really appreciate you coming around the the cafe. I hope you learned something today. I hope that uh, you'll consider reading some of these books. And I'm also going to leave uh, some links to some helpful research like Allison's blog and a few others. And because uh, I, I encourage you to do some research on your own. You know, no, don't just take what I say at face value, like read, do your own research. You know, learn things. This is really important because if you don't have the language to understand what's going on right now, um, you know, it's going to be hard to try and get through it. So, um, yeah, I hope that you'll have a, you know, you'll read and, and take these things into consideration, you know, get curious about what I'm, I'm talking about and, you know, uh, enjoy or yeah, enjoy me, come back and join and join me at the, for next week's, uh, show. Uh, and then I hope everyone has a, a wonderful week and a blessed week. And uh, thanks for stopping by the cafe. All right. Bye-bye.